0: We are so chaotic in the midst of any given day, we can spend our our energy and our brain cells really quick on some things that don't have much eternal or creative value.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode here on the podcast. Before we get started today, we just want to let you know that we're praying for you. We know that there's a lot of stress out there. You have new paradigms of family and leadership and business and ministry. You have things that maybe you've had to cut, you've had to go without, you've had to grieve along the way. And we know there is a lot of change right now. We also know when there's change, there's a potential for innovation, for doing things differently. And right now, we believe that this crisis has created a lot of new creative opportunities creative opportunities for businesses, for ministries, for individuals, maybe you haven't painted in a long time and you got back in the studio. Maybe you haven't written in a long time and you got back to your computer or to your journal. Just seeing a lot of things online that indicate that this time of pause, maybe a little bit of margin, maybe a little bit of boredom has pushed us back to some of the creative things maybe that we've forgotten for a while. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about on this episode Also, we want to remind you that there are a lot of realities that we can help you walk through in this next season. You're facing all kinds of new things. Leadership coaching could be a great choice for you if you're just figuring out what does the next season hold and how do I grow my leadership? Preparation coaching can prepare you for next season, the launch of something new, or a significant change. And for a time, we've also launched financial coaching. We know that you're going to need to recover from some things, create some new projections, and ultimately make some adjustments. And so we have partnered with a financial coach at a very affordable rate. You can find all of that coaching information at stayforth.com backslash coaching stayforth.com backslash coaching. We also would like to let you know we are going to be flexible in this season with payment. We understand some of the realities that a lot of people need discernment in this time. And we also need great flexibility during this time as well. So if our team of coaches can serve you in any way, we would love to go ahead over to our site. So as we talk about creativity today, I interview Alan Arnold, Now, he spent about a decade in the publishing industry with Thomas Nelson, which is just a giant in the publishing world, and he now works for Ransom Heart Ministries. You may have heard of that through John Eldridge and his work, especially with men, helping them recover their hearts. And, uh, he just has an incredible look at creativity today. We talk about the place for creativity. We talk about deadlines. We talk about things that make something go flat, things that give something life. I think if you're a leader of any kind, you're going to get a lot out of this episode today. So enjoy my conversation with Alan Arnold. Well, Alan, it's great to have you on the podcast.
0: Thanks, Alan. It's fun to be on a podcast with a guy that has the same name as me. So I've never done that. That's before. right,
1: Alan one, Alan two. I don't know. We'll just we'll try to confuse the listeners. Totally. Um, man. Well, let's head straight into it. We're in the midst of the coronavirus and what I'm kind of calling the corona slowdown. And so I thought we would just start there. Obviously, there's really hard things happening among businesses, people literally losing their lives over this, but there are some other effects of just kind of the disruption of our lives. So talk a little bit before we get going on creativity about how this has disrupted your life and maybe even what's been good about that disruption.
0: Sure. Well, the biggest disruption for me has been a positive and it's been on the soul level. Um, I More than I care to admit, I let the distractions of the day both give me fulfillment and keep keep me busy on small things uh, that feel like small victories. And that fuels me for the next small victory. And this has really caused me to slow down, to work from home, to know uh, for quite a bit of time, we haven't and we won't be going really anywhere. And so, Alan, it's been disruptive on a soul level to basically ask myself the hard question of where am I finding fulfillment? And it has a lot less to do with doing than I thought it did. And a lot more to do with being. And so the rhythm of my heart has slowed down. Um, The smaller things I'm finding appreciation for, and I'm not allowing my myself to get distracted by busyness but I'm I'm more present to the moment for my family and for my communion with God and it's it, so it's although terrible for the world in many ways and the economy and people's health and I understand that and grieve that for my own soul I've actually found God working a lot on that soil and it's been really good.
1: Mm, agreed, agreed. We both have kids and. That gets busy as well, just carting them around town or chasing them around town or going to their thing or their event. And so many things that have been canceled have allowed two things, really, I think, Alan, is just the pace. I've heard from so many leaders, man, it's really nice to cut out non-essential things, right? We still have to work. We get to create. We get to do things. We still have emails. And yet, um, I think the other side of that is, whoa, like, what do I actually need to be doing what are the things that are just auxiliary that I'm keeping myself busy with? I, I felt that same kind of soul slowdown. And then the other thing is proximity to say, there's a bunch of people that haven't driven their cars in a few weeks. And as suburban people, how interesting that is that we're literally staying grounded and rooted within the same few feet every day. Fascinating time. Um, let's talk about creativity in the midst of it as well. Um, you, we're, we're talking about creativity today. We've talked about creativity over burritos before. Like it's a huge deal for both of us, and I see creativity popping out right now um, with the limitations. Uh, people are going back to you know businesses being incredibly creative to survive. Ministries being creative with funding. We'll continue to see that churches being creative. All kinds of new things thriving um, right now because there are limits, trying some new things, experimentation is high. People are even creating, I'm seeing all kinds of songs uh, that people are playing on Facebook who I didn't even know played the guitar or the piano. I'm seeing people who I didn't even know painted or back in their art studios. Again, what are some of the other things you see unfolding around creativity amidst this crisis?
0: I'm seeing a renaissance of creativity. And I think that starts with the place we are, which is we're slowing down by necessity. But but part of that slowing down allows, I think, the creative side of our brain to flourish. Because when we are so chaotic in the midst of any given day, we can spend our, our energy and our brain cells really quick on some things that don't have much eternal or creative value. And we have to do those things sometimes. But what I found, Alan, is in this time, a lot of that has been stripped away, and so people are going back to the things they love, um, desires from boyhood or girlhood, and and not just the desires, but what was it that drew them to those passions, to those dreams, and they're finding new ways for that to play out in their life as an adult, and and it's, it's so the people I work with, I coach a lot of writers. I work with a lot of creatives. And I didn't know when we went into this time what the impact initially would be. I didn't know if people would shut down, if people would be so distracted, they wouldn't want to think about the arts or their gifting. But I found just the opposite. Like, people are more alive than ever, and we're making more progress than ever in deep, creative ways so it's been awesome and and i think mm. my my hope is this will continue because you know the the thing about what the virus has caused how the world has slowed down the question i have is you know how will the world be different when we're on the other side and that comes down to the answer is how will we be different and so yes. i hope that we will be different at least in one way and that we have tasted the joy of our creativity again and that we won't allow that to be lost when things start spinning at full speed again.
1: Yeah. That phrase I'm hearing all around, never waste a good crisis. Well, a crisis wakes us up to, like you say, what's important. I've noticed so many people walking. Again, I've rediscovered walking. Um, And just even for me and for my creativity, Alan, I had five trips, five speaking engagements canceled and one experience we were putting on. So I was bummed, right? I had to grieve that. And yet the cool thing is that I realized I have space. What am I going to do with that space? And I could have easily wasted it, but I've actually applied it toward my next writing project. And it's been beautiful to have chunks of time that I didn't. Again, I'm watching friends who are amazing. Visual artists and they need to get back in their studios. This has forced them to do the same. So, interesting. I've seen the exact same thing. And you talk about play and whimsy. It's bringing us back to some things to say, man, I haven't done that in a while, or I haven't pulled the hammock out in a while. It's starting to get nice finally uh, here in Colorado. So, fascinating on that. Uh, What about organizational creativity? Are you seeing anything from organizations or sort of on the macro right now um, that is kind of flushing out creativity?
0: I am. And I mean, I think by nature, we have to be more creative just by the fact that we're working in our homes and we're trying to do things that have the normal rhythm has been broken. And so, the normal way we would have communicated an idea to somebody or had a group conversation around a table uh, now it looks different, it feels different. And, you know, churches are experiencing this. I mean, it's not business as usual on Sunday morning, um, just in terms of worship, in terms of uh, if you're in a workplace, it's not the same. And so I think what I've seen is people are thriving because it's it's disrupting the status quo and it's causing them to ask, why do I do what I do? And am I just in a rut or is it really the most creative way? And most of the times, as you probably know, Alan, when we ask that question, we find a more creative way to do things. And so, you know, my hope for like pastors, I've watched a lot of, of sermons online, right? Because the congregations can't gather. And the ones that uh, are the least helpful to me and appealing are ones where the pastor acts like he's talking to a congregation that's not there, you know, and it's it's kind of the normal rhythm, except the cameras are on and nobody's there and we're streaming it. And I I want to go, that's not, that's okay, but it's not helpful because recreate how you're giving your message based on where we are today. Don't just do a 1% shift, but, but reimagine what it could be. And the people that are doing that, I think that's where I'm seeing the most creativity is people saying, right, I'm not trying to, to recreate what I had with one degree difference. What's a whole better way to do what I've been called to do? And man, if we can learn from that and enter into that during this time. I really do think the world will be different when we, when we all are back out, because it's disrupted us enough to find better, newer ways to pursue what we love. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's
1: interesting too. The excellence level, while the excellence level can plummet, go way down to something that really just kind of looks like a Zoom meeting with a lot of people there. I love the creative ideas, the ways that we are squeezed to create new things. Like you say, versus just pretending. No need to pretend right now or just tweak. This is the moment to experiment. So fascinating, man. We can continue to talk about this. Maybe in a few months, let's get together and see. How life has, you know, quote unquote, back to normal. What does that even look like? And I hope it doesn't completely go back to normal because of some of the things we're learning here. Um, Writing coaching, creative coaching. You mentioned that you do some of that coaching. What does that look like, Alan?
0: Well, what it it, really, for me, the starting point is helping people see the truer version of what they're trying to create. And so it, it involves a lot of writers, whether fiction or nonfiction, But it also involves artists who work in a variety uh, of different areas. And really, it it begins with what is the essence of what you're trying to say? I I like to start, Alan, by asking a couple of questions like, who are the people that you're trying to address and what is their point of pain? And then what what is the promise that you want to bring them that helps them shift? And so that can be a chef. It can be, you know, a a painter, it can be uh, a barista, but, but the question is knowing your audience, because when people say, well, what I do is for everyone, that's always the wrong answer. Nothing is for everyone, but we all are called, I believe in unique ways to reach a unique group of people. And it may be millions of people, or it may be thousands, or it may be something on a more local level, but it starts with that and so who who is the audience if you had one message or one chance to do what you love to do who would be gathered in that room now what is that group's biggest point of pain and how is what you're offering going to satisfy them and so it's a it's a really fun journey to take people on and what i found is on the back end of it it gets them one breakthrough from being stuck. A lot of people are stuck in their creativity or a lot of people are using formula. And so the very first thing it does is it kind of breaks through the sticking point so that people can remember why they were called to what they love to do. And then who are they trying to reach with it? And how is what they create a solution or what is the promise of that for that group? And when people know that, I found they just create a lot more freedom. And so that's a little of the process that I take people through and, and do that by phone or do that by zoom call or do that uh, sometimes through email. But um, the the biggest joy I have is seeing people on the other side of that going, yes, this is what I really was born to do. And you've helped me run toward that with less baggage and more freedom. I love that
1: feeling when somebody, somebody gets it, they feel permission to create differently. I share similar things around marketing with people. Is Why is it when we aim at everyone, we get no one? Um, dig down on that just a little bit. Alan, why does that niche idea work? When we aim at a small group of people, ironically, we can actually end up reaching more people eventually. What's behind that?
0: Well, to me, a great example is a restaurant. You know, if a restaurant, if you were inviting me to go to a new restaurant and you said, yeah, man, come with me. And I asked you what they served. And you said, well, it's, it's kind of everything. Like it's, and I said, what, what do you mean everything? Like, is it Italian or is it, is it Mexican? Or is it, you know, just basic kind of American food? And you said, no, it's everything. Well, I would be far less excited to go there and probably on my own wouldn't go there than if you said, this is the best, most unique, authentic Mexican restaurant in town. And they specialize not even in just Mexican food, but it's a a certain region that they focus in on the foods from that region and the flavors and the spices. And so by narrowing a focus, they're actually able to go deeper instead of broader. And I think that's what draws people to great musicians to songwriters, to 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 experiences. They want to immerse themselves and go deeper into something, not just stay on the surface and have a little bit of everything. And so to me it works, you know, whether you're a restaurant or whether you're, you know, if you're a, a musician and somebody said, well, what does this musician specialize in? And I said, well, a little bit of everything. Like you immediately know that that's just not helpful. Like I'd rather somebody focus on jazz or focus on a kind of jazz or focus on a kind of a genre that where they can really master it. And when I was a fiction publisher, you know, a lot of people I for a decade was the fiction publisher of the largest and founder of the largest Christian fiction publishing division. And so there were a lot of talented writers that would want to partner with us and, and join us. And they thought they had a better chance when I would meet with them by saying, yeah, I write a little bit of everything. And actually, those were the people whose work I was least drawn to. I was far more drawn to somebody that said, oh, I write this type of fiction. And I don't care if anybody even ever wants to read it. It's, it's what I was born to write. Well, boy, I know intuitively that person is going to take me on a more authentic journey Than a person who is kind of a jack of all trades. So I think that holds up for any form of creativity. It's not limiting. It's actually saying, find what you love and what you were born to do. And then take us all to the deep end of the pool by you first diving into the deep end of the pool.
1: Alan, what are a couple of things that you learned in that decade with Thomas Nelson? A couple of the big themes that you'll never forget from that season?
0: Yeah. Well, to put it in context we were starting basically from scratch on a new division the, the Thomas Wilson had been around for 200 years basically they were founded in 1798 but they had never focused in a division of the of the publishing house exclusively on fiction so it was this it was this real renaissance time of new beginnings and fresh ideas and I learned a couple of things pretty quickly one was the person, the creator, is even more important than the creation. And by that, I mean, we found we first were chasing best-selling New York Times, authors who had proven themselves, had a huge readership. And in some cases, we found out because of the writer, the author themselves, um, it was not a great relationship. They were hard to manage and work with. They didn't want to be collaborative. Their egos got in the way of their creativity. Um, And so there were a variety of reasons. But what we learned is who we partner with is really the most important thing. And so we were much more careful as we went on in finding people we enjoyed being around because the creative process is a collaboration. And so, you know, a lot of people uh, that are hard to work with and want to kind of just do their own thing, but don't want to engage with other people or discuss or, you know, um, partner in any kind of way. Those are, they make it more difficult because they have to be the ones who breathe life into their art. and, And you can't do that in isolation and it takes collaboration. So That was lesson number one for us was who we partner with matters immensely. The second thing is the people who co-created with God were creating something, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a second, but we're creating something far more eternal than the people who were creating the formula. And so I'll just stay with the, the publishing industry for a minute. But think of your favorite writers. And a lot of them, if you're like me, over time, you maybe don't read them after five, six, seven novels or books because you find they're kind of saying the same thing. It feels very similar. And so that's what formula does. The industry wants lightning to strike again and again and again. So when somebody has a hit, they want them to recreate it with the slightest variation. Because the hope is maybe lightning will strike a second time. And so there's all these phenomenal first books or breakout books by people. But then you have to ask, why was the second or third or fourth book not nearly as good or popular? And most of the time it's because they're chasing formula. And when we co create with God, to me, that's the antidote because God is not a God of formula. Everything he does is fresh, unique, different. We just have to look at the genesis, you know, story of creation. And 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 so finding people who are actively pursuing their creativity with God, not just for God and not just something about God, but actively entering into the dance of their creative gifting with God. It's messy, it's unpredictable. It's, there's a lot of unknowns, but when we do that, our creativity comes alive far more than when we pursue formula of here's the five steps. And now I'm going to repeat those steps every time. And, and the third thing I would just conclude on is people who had their definition of success wrestled to the ground first were far more likely to endure in their creativity for the long run. And by that, I mean people who were chasing success and striving really stressed out the team around them. Um, They were nervous. They were restless. They were um, distracted. And they were always chasing that next thing as opposed to people who had their definition of success settled. And, and to me, the only definition of success that works is success is when I pursue my creativity with God. And the power of that is we experience then success as we create, while we're creating, rather than hoping it happens Six months, a year later, based on the reaction of of the industry or a bestseller list or people, we we no longer tie success to reactions, but we experience success in the creative act. And so what I found was when those three things were in motion, when we had artists and writers and creatives who were doing those things, They were people who wanted to collaborate, who wanted to actively enter into their creativity with God, and who knew what true success was, boy, then the writings and the stories that were coming out were full of life, bristling with life, vibrant. And when we didn't do that, the the products ended up being just that, products, more forgettable it was a manuscript that hit its deadline, came out, and then was forgotten. So I saw, I saw the great difference it made, and that was over the course of 500, 600 novels.
1: It's really helpful. Uh, I get a lot of questions about place. Where should I create? So what have you seen as a connection between inspiring
0: places and creativity? That's a great question. I, I do think place matters. I think you want a place that is life giving, uh, if you can, if that's possible. And so a place that, um, evokes life and in my study where I like to do a lot of writing, I have a painting that that covers a good part of a wall and it is of this wave that is breaking and it's, and it's all these, um, shades of blue and green and it's full of energy And there's texture to the paint that you can see coming off the canvas, and and it it brings me a lot of life. I love the ocean, I love those colors, and if I'm playing a soundtrack that evokes emotion and mood, that's very powerful for me. Everybody's different, but if you can find a place that brings life, I think that you're 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 doing well and you're on track. But with that said. I don't think comfort is the goal. Um, A lot of people talk about wanting to write in their cozy spot, you know, with their cup of mocha and, 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 and coziness isn't necessarily to me the best catalyst for creativity. If you think about a lot of artists and, and, and go across any, you know, medium you want, like, think about people writing screenplays, think about actors, think about musicians. We hear a lot of times these stories where at the most creative peaks of their life, they were sleeping in the backseat of a car or they were on a friend's couch. They didn't really have more than a few dollars in their pocket. They weren't cozy. They weren't pampered. And yet they were creating masterpieces in the different arts. And then a funny thing happens. Success hits, they have bestsellers, they have, um, you know, number one movies or, or recordings, and then go fast forward five years later and their work is soft and it's not all that memorable. And why, you know, why do so many bands that we love have their first album be, incredible. And then their second one is okay. And by their third or fourth one, nobody remembers it. And yet they were paid more and far more comfortable and had far bigger stadiums on those later releases. But that wasn't what mattered. Those weren't the right ingredients. And so what I'm saying is in terms of place, find a place that's life-giving if you can, but don't believe you have to be pampered and everything has to be perfect because number 1 that's not realistic and two i think some of our best creativity comes from moments where we are not the most comfortable but where we're wrestling and struggling and sweating and bleeding metaphorically you know over our work because it's not coming easy and and our goal isn't to make it come easier it's to make it come truer man, that's really good
1: stuff. Uh, I was taking some notes myself. And as I mentioned, I'm actually in the writing process again, right now. And that always brings up new fears and insecurities, and things I'm really excited about. All of those sort of mixed together in a concoction. And that can cause us to do some weird things It can cause us to overfocus on it and sort of shut everything else out and forget about it. That can cause us uh, to get fearful or to wonder who would ever want to read my stuff, who would ever want to see my art, my creativity, whatever that is for you. We know that with art comes fear, comes insecurity, and it is worth it. If you are considering doing something, launching something, starting something, know that it is worth worth it. And maybe you have somebody you can bring alongside to help you discern the process, but make sure that you're not listening to that person's voice too loudly and overshadowing the voice of God, your creator, who has put this divine breeze into all of us to create, to image us to create. So just a a couple of questions to leave you with. Are you putting too many deadlines on your work? Are you putting too many deadlines on your work? Maybe you need to let it breathe just a little bit. Maybe you need to take the deadlines off, take the pressure off, or on the other side, have you not put enough deadline on your work? Maybe there's something that you'd like to do down the line and you just feel like you haven't put the right urgency on it. There's a place for deadlines. Like we talked about with Alan in this episode, there's a place for space to let it breathe. And we know that you may need one or the other During this time, guys, it is a great privilege we have to bring you this podcast twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. If you are enjoying it, if something struck a chord about creativity, please take a moment to text this link to a friend to share why they'll resonate with it. We think creative types uh, all over are going to resonate with not only this episode, but a few episodes we have coming in the next few weeks. We love having these conversations. And if you guys would, we would love a rating, and a review so we can get this more exposure. Thanks for all you do. Keep leading well, keep leading strong. And again, we're praying for you. We know you are facing a lot of change right now.